Thank you so much for joining us here at Word Baptist Church. I'm Jamar Andrews. I'm the lead pastor, and I get the great privilege of shepherding here. I'm excited that you're joining us today for this sermon. You're about to receive text-driven preaching. My prayer is that God speaks to you through this time as you listen to this message. So enjoy, and God bless. Uh, we're going to focus on the life of Elisha and how God worked and moved uh, in his life. And uh, the title of today's message is Dealing with Disappointment. Dealing with Disappointment. Uh, you see, uh, the book that we have before us uh, is going to walk us through uh, some very difficult times in the life of a particular family. And I believe that from this particular book, the book of Ruth, God is going to teach us uh, how we can look to him uh, in the moments of hardship and difficulty because he is working uh, in the details and in the difficulties of this life. Uh, I don't know about you, but when I think about the series titled Victory, I entitled that for a reason. And the first reason foremost is that we already have it, that uh, whenever you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, when you have given your life to him, uh, you have already uh, experienced the victory. Now, the second reason is probably not as spiritual. As a matter of fact, I know it's not as spiritual, is that I like to win. Uh, we got anybody in here that can't stand to lose? Anybody in here? Thank you. I appreciate the honesty. It don't matter what we're doing, chewing gum, throwing rocks. I'm trying to get the W. And so uh, I, I love uh, the concept of, of winning. Now, I do know, though, that uh, in this life, uh, there are difficult times. And when I think about... <clears throat> the dynamics of disappointment, uh, there can be small things that come along in our life. For example, I jotted a few down. Uh, when you go to your favorite restaurant and uh, you love the appetizers that they have and you roll up to the table and they say, I'm so sorry, we are out of those. That's a disappointing feeling. You had your mouth right, you was ready, you know, everything was ready and that's not there and so you miss it. That's a small thing or whenever you uh, want to buy an article, an item, an article of clothing or something of that sort and you go online and you see that it's sold out or worse yet, they got everything but your size. And, uh, you know, that's a disappointing moment. See, th these are small ones. But in life, there are other times where we might be disappointed with the news that we get. Maybe it's your car. You take your car to the mechanic and uh, it's making a sound and something's wrong and, and the mechanic comes to you and they, and they say, man, this it's a it's a tough deal here, and it's going to cost you a couple thousand dollars to be able to fix. You know, that's unless you just bankroll fresh, you might be a little upset about that. And uh, it's disappointing news. Uh, also, when it comes to us physically, our bodies physically, you know, we uh, break down and uh, things in our lives don't go the way in which we think. And sometimes doctors have to share bad news with us. And when we when we hear those things, 
uh, the gravity and the weight of those things can disappoint us. Or maybe it's the world around us. When we hear news about the world around us and we think about the things that are happening in lives and to lives and we struggle with these disappointing things. I believe that today before us is a book and particular, uh, particularly a chapter that I believe is going to give us great encouragement to allow us to be able to live through these times as we are in a fallen world. You see, the purpose of uh, this particular book, the book of Ruth, uh, is to bring about an understanding for us about how God was going to intervene in human history. You see, the book of Ruth is a small piece of a bigger story, the bigger story of how God was going to right all wrongs, redeem a people that were apart from him. And this tells us how in the world Jesus was going to be able to come through a lineage, through an individual and be born in a place that has a zip code and has an address. But also, as we look through this, there are many things that we're going to see that run throughout this book. We're going to see the theme of grace and the theme of God's provision, the theme that shows that small decisions are really not necessarily small. They produce big things as we look at the scope of how God works and moves. Can I just tell you for my sisters in the room, it's a love story. We got a brother named Boaz. Can I tell you, he must have been a good looking brother. Sister named Ruth. We're going to see a love story between uh, between uh, two individuals that you would never see, uh, that you never think would be together in marriage. Uh, we're also going to see, though, that the book of Ruth, it, it helps us to understand uh, how to deal with the difficulties that comes our way. Just to kind of lay out the purpose that I'm going to have as we go through this four-part series, is that the first thing is, is I'm going to try to help us to see the fact that God is still working even in the difficulties. That no matter what comes our way, that God is working and he's moving. You see, I believe that. I believe that God is on the throne and there's nobody or no thing that's going to change that. And that should be the way in which we live our life. You see, I find that every single one of us lives life from a particular perspective. Either we are a, a pessimist or an optimist. Either we are living through a lens of scripture or we're living through the lens of the flesh and what we see around us. And so I'm going to be trying to establish a biblical worldview in the perspective in which we live. Now, let me just highlight a couple of things about the book. You notice in our uh, English Bibles, uh, it's right after Judges and it's right before uh, 1 Samuel. Uh, that's uh, intentional here because when we look at this, this book of Judges, it shows the decline of the Hebrew nation, the nation of Israel. And in, in the midst of this, you have a love story right smack dab in the midst of this difficulty. And then in First Samuel, we see the establishment of the kingdom of Israel. And so right in the midst of all the mess, God is, is orchestrating and pulling out a love story for us to see. And can I just tell you, that's no different than what he's doing today. I'm going to just come in real close here. I know y'all thinking COVID, stay back, preacher. I'm still got my 12 feet. In the midst of the mess and in the midst of the chaos, God is still, uh, has still worked out a great love story. It's the story in which he takes his bride, the bride of Christ, in the midst of all the mess and all the mayhem, and he is still establishing and working in the bride. And can I tell you, if you didn't know, that's us here in the church, and he is still working and moving. And so we're going to see how God can do these types of things. Now, we don't know specifically at what point in the time period of the judges this happened, but we know it happened and we know that it is showing us that God's people in difficulties can see God at work. 
And so I'm going to just highlight the statements that I get are going to be in the negative, not because they're negative, but I'm going to share them kind of like do nots. You know, like if you go to a swimming pool, don't run, don't horse play. That means that we're against you. That, that doesn't mean that the pool is against you having fun. It's just giving you the, the commands in a negative way. And so let me just lay those out briefly, and then we will look to unpack the text. The first thing we want to see as we deal with difficulty is we don't want to run from our problems. It's the first thing. Secondly, we don't want to hide our mistakes. And then the last thing we want to see is that we don't want to blame the Lord. Now, in the midst of all this, we're going to see a great harvest, that God is still in the harvest business. He's still in the life-changing business. And I'm looking forward to seeing how this sermon series impacts us. One final thing before I read this passage. You know, I told you that this thing was about love. And, you know, I find it fascinating that the two books in the Old Testament that are named after women uh, have to do with uh, somebody getting married. It's really interesting. That's not all that it has to do with, but this interesting dynamic about how God desires to bring people together. The book that we have before us is the book of Ruth, where we have a, a, the story of a Gentile woman that gets hooked up with a Jewish man and they get together. And then you look at Esther. Everybody knows Sister Esther. That was a bad sister. You hear me? Bad sister. Esther, we have a, a Jewish woman that gets married to a Gentile man to show that God in his economy and in his work, he has always desired to be able to have the two that were divided to be able to come together. And as we go through this work, as we go through this book, I believe we're going to see this in vivid language for us to be able to see. I hope you've had an opportunity to find Ruth chapter one. We got a long haul. We're going to get the whole thing today. Verses one through 22. Ruth chapter one, verse one. Now it came about in the days when the judges governed that there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the land of Moab with his wife and his two sons. Now the name of the man was Elimelech and the name of his wife, Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Mahlon and Chilion. Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. Now they entered the land of Moab and remained there. Then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They took for themselves Moabite women as wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. And they lived there about ten years. Then both Machlion and Chilion also died. And the woman we were breath of her two children and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the land of Moab. For she had heard in the land of Moab that the Lord had visited his people in giving them food. So she departed from the place where she was and her two daughters-in-law with her. And they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. And Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. May the Lord grant that you may find rest each in the house of her husband. 
Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, but we will surely return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Return, my daughters. Why should you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? Return, my daughters. Go, for I am too old to have a husband. If I said I have hope, if I should even have a husband tonight and also bear sons, would you therefore wait until they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for this is harder for me, for you. For the hand of the Lord has gone forth against me. And they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. Then she said, Behold, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or turn back from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. Thus may the Lord do to me, and worse, if anything but death parts you and me. When she saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more to her. So they both went until they came to Bethlehem. And when they had come to Bethlehem, all the city was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? She said to them, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why do you call me Naomi? Since the Lord has witnessed against me. And the Almighty has afflicted me. So Naomi returned, and with her Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, who returned from the land of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Here we are. The first thing we're going to see is in our first movement, for us, this particular account is narrative. It's a story, and so it unfolds for us in scenes. And so the first scene that we see is in verses one through verses one through five. And it's giving us some very important uh, information about the dynamics and about the details of what's happening. And can I just tell you, the news is not good. The news is not good for this particular family. Uh, They have been going through some very difficult things. But I believe in this first section, this first piece of narrative, we can find out a lot about this family and about how I believe God wants to work and move in this day in which we live. So the first thing we're going to see is the time frame. The Bible says to us in chapter one, verse one, that this was in the days of the judges. And you remember, if you haven't had a devotion in, in judges in a long time, you remember some of the judges. Uh, they had a, a particular rule in which God would raise up an individual to be able to govern the people, to be able to lead the people. Uh, Samuel would be one of those in which he was working. Gideon would be one of those. And so this is that time period in which uh, God was working and moving and he was raising up individuals to lead his people. 
But that time was not only a time that God was raising up individuals to lead his people, but it was a time in which his people were very disobedient. It was a time of great chaos. I, I laid it out this way. It was a time of violence, lawlessness, division, disgrace, decay, and confusion. That, that was what uh, that time period looked like. If you're taking notes, I just want you to jot down Judges chapter 17, verse 6, and this will tell you why it was that way. Judges 17, 6 says this. In those days, what days? These days, these judges days. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Every man did what was right in his own eyes. Can you imagine that? that that's why it was so chaotic. That was, that's why it was a hot mess up in there. That's why it was crazy. Because every man was doing in their, in their own eyes what they thought was right. There was no standard. There was no one to be able to execute and to deliver the justice that God had laid out in his word. And so it was craziness. You see, even in our day, as I've already said, it, it can be said of our day, violence, lawlessness, division, disgrace, decay and confusion. That sound for me to anybody. But can I tell you right smack dab in the middle of this, we have a love story and we 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 are going to be introduced more fully as we go through the book. But we start off by by learning about this family. And I just want to just stop for just one minute to remind us about how God feels about the people of this world. No matter how chaotic, no matter how violent, no matter how lawless, no matter how divided. Let, let me just remind us what a very important passage of scripture from the Gospel of John, chapter three, uh, verse 16. John 3, 16 and 17 says this for God. Y'all know the verse. Say it with me. So love the world. Everybody see that? Now, that's not talking about this world system. It's talking about us. It's talking about the people of this world. As sinful and as as crazy as we can be. This is still his posture toward us. So even in the midst of mess, he is still seeking a relationship with bride. It says this. How, how do you know that? Preacher, here's why I know that. It says this. He so loved the world. You know, real love is going to cause you to move. You know, love is not just a noun. It's a verb. That's what I like to say in my marriage counseling. It's not just a thing. It's an actual movement. It's action. It's an action verb. How do we know that? That he gave his only begotten son, that God in his movement, he actually went to the extent to be able to show his love. He gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him, y'all catch that? Whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Reason why verse 17, we need to be excited about it and delighted about it. It's for God did not send his son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. There's only one way. That this world going to be saved and transformed. You know how that is? Through God's son. Y'all are looking at me like, oh, we know that already, preacher. There's a lot of people that don't. And, and, our, and our world is reflecting that well right now that we have not fully grasped and understood the love of God. And so we still see this love story. Now, early on in our, in our text, still in the same verse, in verse one, we are brought into some information that there was a famine in the land. Did y'all catch that? There's a famine in the land, that there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem in Judah, he went out to sojourn the land of Moab with his wife and his two sons. Now, this famine, it could have been caused by the weather patterns 
or it could have been caused by armies coming through. And in this day, whenever armies would come through, they would take the food away from the people. They would take the food. That's why, if y'all remember, whenever we are introduced to Gideon, y'all remember what he was doing when he was threshing? He was hiding out in the wine press. He was hiding because the land was occupied by the enemy. And he knew, number one, if they saw him, they'd probably kill him. But secondly, if they didn't kill him, they would take his food. And so food was scarce in the day. And so when we look at this, we have to ask ourselves a question. Why is this? Now, I'm going to just submit to you. When you look at Judges, you will find out that there was a lot of disobedience. And God had already told the people that if you do not obey me, there are certain things that will come upon you if you don't obey. There'll be certain things. And famine was one of those. I like to look, to look at it this way. You driving your car, you mind your own business. And on the dash, the, the check engine light comes on. The check engine light is to notify you that there is a, a issue. Now, it could be a big issue or a small issue, but the check engine light is letting you know that the power source that, that, you, that your foot, when you hit that pedal that it's connected to, there's something wrong. See, what God would do in this time is that he would send certain things kind of like the check engine light for the people, for the nation to say, hey, you need to get yourself together. Now, there's a little some problems up under the hood with my relationship. The power source, there's an issue between me and the power source between me and you. You need to check this thing out. And so we see this, that, that there was an issue. Now, I'm submitting to you that I believe that this famine, I don't know why it was caused, but I believe that ultimately the, the, the deciding factor that God was trying to, to happen here was he was trying to get the people to turn their attention toward him. That's what I find in most times when things are difficult, that ultimately what God is trying to do is he's trying to get us to turn our attention toward him, toward the power, toward the one who can work and move in our life. It says there was a famine in the land. You see, this family, though, they made a decision. Did y'all, you see the decision that was made? There was a famine in the land. And so instead of staying in God's place, they moved to another place. It says that they went and they moved to sojourn. That means they were intending for this to be a temporary time frame. When you sojourn, it means temporary. They moved through the land of Moab. They, they, they were going to take a quick trip over to Moab until things got better. But the problem is, is that a decade later, things had not gotten better. So when we see this word sojourn, when we see this idea of famine, I just want to submit to you just this morning that whenever God is your problem, God is the only solution. That when God is trying to work and he's trying to move in your life and there are certain things that are happening, certain things that are going on, when God is, is the problem, when the, when, the, when the issue is between you and God, let, let me just say it this way, only God is the solution. So whenever there's issues between God and man and that issue, the heart issue, the disconnect between God and man, that what we are seeing in our world is the issue that is a disconnect between God and man. And it is playing itself out between man and man and, and the way in which we view God and the way in which we live for him. And so whenever our problem is with him, when there's a disconnect between us and him, it's going to be played out at large between us. And so what happens is, is we start making decisions in this particular family. They made the decision that they were going to remove themselves from where God, his, his, he had already promised he would bless and he would move. And they were going to get outside of the will of God. Can I just tell you, just submitting it to you this morning, that, that I believe that there are four ways in which we tend to try to go through trials or difficulties. I got these from Warren Wiersbe, three of them, and I added one to his because I felt like there was one that needed to be added. The first thing we can decide to do is we can decide to escape. Did y'all? That, that's what they did. 
Uh, they said, you know what? There ain't enough bread around here. And you know, the, the, the ironic thing about this is the, the word Bethlehem, it means house of bread. So in Bethlehem, the house of bread, what does it say was happening? A famine. I mean, there wasn't no bread in the house. And so the decision they made was they said, you know, we're going to escape this thing. We're going we're gonna to leave this. We're going to try to find a better place. And so for some of us, whenever hardships and problems come our way, that's the first thing we do. We try to escape. That's why the, the main heading is don't run. We can't run from our problems. What happens many times when we try to run from the problems, we try to run from the things that are difficult in our lives is that we miss out on God leveraging those to mature us, to get us into a relationship with him in which we can trust and rely on him. What I find is, is that the friction and the difficulties of this life should cause us to look at the Lord and to begin to be mature in the way in which we view him, which ultimately will work down in a way in which we live our life. So we can decide we want to escape. The next thing we can do if we're not careful is we can just say, you know what? I'm going to endure this thing. I'm going to just endure it. That's it. Just 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 bite down, grit and bear it. That's what I'm going to do. And many times, if that's our disposition, when we have trials or difficulties, then what normally becomes of us is we become bitter, hard hearted. And, and we begin to have a critical spirit, what, what I like to call a critical spirit. See, I believe that God calls us to have a critical mind that we think critically, but we should not have a critical spirit in which we filter everything in through negatively. Right. Anybody in here know anybody that's got a critical spirit? Don't raise your hand. If you don't know anybody, it might be because you're the one. That's just what I'm. But if we're not careful and we just seek to endure and to bear up under things, then we can begin to have a hard heart and become very bitter, embittered toward God and toward people. And we have to be very careful. The next thing that, that I find that people do is not just escape or to try to just to endure, but they also they entertain. They entertain their struggle. And what I mean by that is they let it consume their mind. They let it consume what they think about. They let the struggle consume every part of them and they just entertain. And so everything, all they talk about, all they can see, all they can experience, all they can feel is related to this one struggle, this one issue. And they just continue to entertain it and entertain it. And hear me, I know that there are hard things that come in this life. But I believe that what God calls us to do is he calls us to get our eyes up and not so much to see all the struggle that we are having or that everybody else is having. But we look at him to be able to know how to deal with it. And so we have a, a whole group of folks that love to just to entertain the struggle, just entertain. That's all we talk about. Every post you make, every 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 blog, every every tweet, every Instagram, every everything. That's all it is. It's all the struggle. And we just entertain it all the time. Keep it before us. But can I tell you, I think there's a better way. I think there's a better way. And that's to enlist it. When we enlist our struggle, it moves the struggle from being master over us to being servant to us. And let, let, let me explain what I mean when I say that by, by giving you a passage in Romans 8.28. Romans 8.28 says this. And we know that God causes some of the things. Is that what that text says? I missed it, didn't I? I got to work on that. And we know that God causes all things. I got somebody here that's going to help me today. I need somebody to help me. We all up late watching fireworks last night. I need somebody to help me. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good. Now, here, here y'all ready for this conditional, right? To those who love God. To those who are 
called according to his purposes. So when we understand that when I say we can enlist this whenever we are in a relationship with God, number one, we meet the criteria. We love in God and we have been called according to his purpose. We've been called into a relationship. We're watching. We can enlist the struggle. We can put it to work for us. We can take the things, the things that are detrimental, the things that are awful, the things that are stinky, the things that are terrible, and we can put them to work and allow God to work and move. I like to say it this way. And can I tell you, I'm not saying this is an easy piece or an easy way to think through this, but we can take the, the manure of this world and we can put it down in the, in the fertile ground of our heart and we can allow that to get a, a place that can be ready for the seed of the word to be able to grow. See, I find that whenever you are looking at these messy things and these hard things, if you will allow God to take those things and to be able to, to deploy you and to use you and to be able to use them in your life, I believe you'll see a great transformation. Y'all looking at me like, how are we going to do that? Okay. Number one, just practical. Let's just get practical for a minute. I believe that God will use trials to cause us to trust him and ultimately to build our character. So the first step is we have to have this perspective. That no matter how difficult the surroundings are, if I'll be willing to follow the Lord, he will see me through. He will see me through. First piece, mindset shift. Follow the Lord. Trust that he is going to see me through. How, how do I know that? Can I just drop some word on you? This is a word to Elimelech and to Naomi. This was a word that they needed. Can I just drop a little word to you in Psalm 33 verses 18 through 22? Let me just drop a little word. How, how do I know that we have to allow scripture to come into our minds and begin to reshape and to rework how we think about things? Catch it now. Behold, what does it say? The eye of the Lord is on those who fear him. Did y'all catch it? So number one, what he's saying is, is I see you. I see you over there. I got my eyes on you. You know, as a parent, you notice your kids start moving around. Or if you've ever been in, in, in education, you got to keep up with your kids. You just count them all the time looking for them. Where y'all at? Where y'all at? Okay, I see you over there. Anybody dealing with kids? The eyes of the Lord, he's he, he looking. He knows where you are. Notice this. On those who fear him, on those who, on those who catch it with me, hope for his loving kindness. Verse 19, to deliver their souls from death and to keep them alive in what? In famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our what? Help and our shield. For our heart rejoices in him because we trust in his Holy name. Verse 22, make it personal now. Let your loving kindness, O Lord, be upon us. Make it personal. Don't be afraid to ask him that. Don't be afraid to tell him. Don't be afraid to ask him to bless you. Let your loving kindness be upon us, Lord, according as we have hoped in you. You see, I find that if we will have a perspective shift, first thing, first movement, perspective shift, I believe that Elimelech, the first problem that we have with him is that he had the wrong perspective. He was looking externally to try to find his hope and his help, but we have to be looking internally and upwardly. When I say internally, I mean we have to be looking at the Lord and trusting that his relationship in us is strong enough to guide us through whatever we are in. But then ultimately, we continue to look to him to, and trust him as we move through these things. The way in which we do that action step, we obey his word and we commit ourselves to him. We obey his word and we commit ourselves to him. Now, the thing about Elimelech's name, Elimelech, that name means my God is king. 
My God is king. That's what Elimelech means. The problem was is that Elimelech, in the time of Judges, what does it say? In Judges, there was what? No king, right? Y'all remember I read, I just read that. But his name means my God is king. So guess what? There was a king. And guess who it was? Guess who it was? Just newsflash, y'all ready for it? It was God. He was the king. He was the king then. He's the king now. And guess what? He will always be the king. So when we look at this, the the problem here, what I find is that Elimelech, he was not living up to his name. And oh, is it a sad thing when those who love the Lord don't live up to their name? Because when when we don't live up to our name, when we allow all these other influences to come into our life, it will cause us to think and do things that are not in his will, not according to his will. And they move smack dab out of the will of God. You know, Sister Naomi which, by the way, her name means pleasant. Anybody know any Naomi's in the room? Anybody know any Naomi's? We don't know no Naomi's in here. Oh, yeah, I see if you had somebody like, I don't know. I don't know what you're going to ask me that. Now, the question I always say is, Naomi, is Naomi pleasant? Because that's what it means. It means pleasant. You see, this family, they had made some decisions. And their decisions affected their whole entire family. The text tells us they have two sons, Machlion and Chilion. And I know y'all want to know what these names mean, so let me just go ahead and let you know what these names mean. Machlion means sickly. Chilion means weak. Y'all like them names? No? So scratch that off the list, the baby names. Scratch that. We don't want them. Yeah, that, 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 those are not options. <laughs> but what this tells us, is that the dynamics of God, when he had called his people, there was a, a resolve. And in the midst of these movements, we see that they were, they, were, they were weak and they were sickly. And can I just tell you, the thing that I pray for us as a church in this season, as we look to see the victory, is that we will recognize what we have in the Lord. That, 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 this is my prayer. I'm just going to, I, I borrowed this. You ready for it? Ephesians 3. I'm just going to read it, 14 through 19. And, and it, just for application, like, like, this is my prayer for our church. This is my prayer for individual Christians. This is my prayer for the church in Santa Fe. This is my prayer for the church in Japan. This is my prayer for the church in Jonesboro. This is my prayer for churches all over that we would understand where the power, the horsepower comes from our life. You ready for it? I, I stole this prayer from the Apostle Paul. It says, it's for this reason, I bow my knee. Why, why are we praying? Because we have the tendency to be sickly and weak and not to remember that God is our king and, and that we should be pleasant. This is the prayer right here. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you, here it is, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in where? The inner man. The inner man. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. That's my prayer. You see, I know that we, we pray and we talk about a lot of things that are going on in this world. And can I just tell you, if I hadn't said it, I'm going to say it a bunch of times in, in this sermon and in the sermons to come. We live in a fallen world. OK, so anything that happens here should not surprise us. 
But what happens is, is we start focusing so much on this world, and I think we should be salt and light. We start focusing so much on this world that we start to become mess managers. That makes sense? We just try to manage the mess, kind of like a trash compactor. Y'all know anybody got a trash compactor? That's old school. That's old school appliance right there. Now we just get the trash out the house. Why do we need to come pack it down, right? But the trash compactor, what it would do, you know, it would just, and it push it down and squeeze it in. So that way it would allow you to be able to put more mess in. It didn't, it didn't do anything with the mess that you had, only made room for you to keep putting more mess on it. And so the, the solutions and the things of this world can only at best be mess management. What we need to see is transformation to, to get the, all the mess, get the mess up out of the heart and be able to move it around and then throw it away because Jesus Christ has worked and moved. That, that is what this prayer is, that we will begin to pray for one another and for people in this country, in this nation, in leadership, that that is what the experience would be, that they will be strengthened on the inside, in the inner man, that they would know the love of Christ, which surpasses understanding. Paul tried to tell us already, I'm trying to explain to you the unexplainable. I'm trying to give you some parameters to something that can't be bound and that that would be the movement that we have. Y'all with me this morning? We see this family. Elimelech he wasn't living up to his name. And I find that in our day it's all too pervasive. They made some decisions that were costly. They moved to Moab and he, he moved thinking that he was going to help to, to save his family, save his life. And ultimately, they got there and they got three funerals. The three funerals. They, they, they moved to, to be safe, to have life, and then they, they, they died. Three, three funerals. What about this Moab? So what, what's the big deal about Moab? Can, can I just briefly share, share it with you? What's the big deal about Moab? If you're taking notes, jot down Genesis 19, verses 30 to 38. I'm not going to read those. That gives you the, the history, though. Moab, it's the place where the Moabites lived. You know, you got a whole lot of ites. Hivites, Perizzites, Moabites. You got a lot of ites in the Old Testament. These particular ites were the offspring of Lot. Anybody remember Lot? Abraham, kinfolk. You know, they went down to Sodom and Gomorrah. Well, the problem with, 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 with Brother Lot is, you know, Sodom seeped into him. And when you read the account, what you find out is, is that, and it seeped into his family too, because the Moabites are the, the incestuous relationship between Lot and his oldest daughter. So just let that sink in for a minute. You know, one of the things I love about God is that he, he, he leaves it all in his word. He ain't trying to, he, he ain't leave nothing out. You hear me? Good, bad, and ugly. It's all in here. I know in our day right now, it's, it's being bold to try to, Forget the, forget the past and all that. Try to take stuff down. Forget the past. But let me just tell you, God didn't do that. He kept it real with us. And he kept it right in his word, not so we could flaunt it, but so we could learn from it and say, you know what? That's not a, real, that's not a good idea. And we see that it, it's, it's a relationship between those. And can I tell you, there was a great hostility between Jews and Moabites, between Israel and, and, and Moab. There was a great hostility. As a matter of fact, look with me in Deuteronomy 23, verse 3. Deuteronomy 23, verse 3 says this. No Ammonite, that's one of them ites, or, what, or who else? Y'all see it? Moabite shall enter the assembly of the Lord. Did y'all see that? That is strong language. He said, y'all don't come in here. You, you can't enter the assembly of the Lord. None of their, say it with me, none of their descendants, even to the 10th generation. 
shall, shall ever enter the assembly of the Lord. Y'all catch that? Why so? There was hostility, great friction between Moabite and Jew. Great hostility. And then, but did you see what just happened? This family had their Jewish boys, their Hebrew boys, and they married up with these Moabite women. They married them up, put them together. Now here in a minute, I'm going to show you how God works this all out. But can I just tell you the reason why he makes this statement that they can't be in the assembly is not because of the color of their skin. It's not because of the geographical location where they live. None of those things. The reason is because they were idolatrous. They were they did not follow and trust and believe and love the Lord. They, they, they were in the practice of human sacrifice, child sacrifice. They killed their babies. He said, don't you do that. That's an abomination. They were in the practice of all types of immorality sexually. He said, well, don't you do Don't hit your wagon to that train. I'm telling you right now, it's going to run off the tracks. And so we see this. We, we, this is strong language where we see they made some decisions. And so they continue when you step out of God's will or you don't want to do it God's way and you make a decision to move down and get yourself in these troubles. Many times you continue to go down that road. And he's trying to get our attention here. And he's saying, listen, don't try to run from problems. You stay right where God has you, even when it's difficult, because he's the God who is our help and our shield. But not only do we see that, we see that the death makes things worse and it causes them to have to make some decisions. Look with me in verses 6 through 18. Verses 6 through 18, and what I want to do is I just want to highlight the three Naomi Orpha and Ruth. And I just want to make some assessments from their life. Number one, Naomi, if you remember Naomi, she covers verse six through 50, first, verse six through verse 15. And I just want to highlight a couple of things that number one, did you notice that uh, because the family was in a place that God had not called them to be, that they missed out on the blessing. Did you catch that? In verse six, uh, it says this, then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the land of Moab for she had heard in the land of Moab. So she's in Moab. So she heard in the land of Moab that the Lord had visited his people in giving them food. Now, catch this now, Moab and Bethlehem, this is about 50 miles away. That's about 50, 50 miles away. And so she was not in a position where she could experience that blessing. Listen, they still struggling and having a hard time in Moab, but the Lord had visited his people. It says very clearly, visited his people in Bethlehem. There was bread back in the house. And so what I find to be important, what I just want us to catch from Naomi's life, it's important that we put our position where we are in a blessable position. Now, I'm not getting all prosperity gospel on you, but what I'm trying to say to you is how we live our life matters. Are we asking God to bless mess? Or are we willing to do it his way? We want to be in a blessable position. We want to make sure that we, number one, by faith, we've given our life to the Lord and we've trusted him. Now, are we following his will, following his word, not to get his attention, but because we already have it, not to try to get his love, but because we already have it. And so we see that in her life, she, she made them. She's going to make a mistake of trying to hide out her decisions, try to keep these girls from coming back with her because she knew that when her boys married them, that they had sinned, that they did exactly right opposite of what the Lord had said to do. And so we have to be willing to be in a blessable position. Can I just ask you a question? Is your life blessable? 
Is your life blessable? You know, Naomi, she, she gets up and she said, look, we're getting ready to go. Verse seven. So she departed the place where she was and her two daughters-in-law, they went with her. They were, she was going to return to the land of Judah. The problem here is that when she was getting ready to return to the land, she was returning to the land, not the Lord. This repentance was a repentance where she was going to give food. It had nothing to do with her returning to God. And can I just say in our lives, when we repent, we must not just try to get the stuff, but it's ultimately about the relationship. That that's ultimately what we are looking for, to keep the connection right, to keep the connection clear, that we look to it and we trust God. See, she, she when, in verse seven, when she turned, she was turning for the stuff, not for the Lord. And in our repentance, might it be that we return to the Lord for the relationship? You know, when I think about this, it makes me think about how she was going to still be spiritual with these young girls, even though she was bitter and having a hard time. I want you to look with me in verses eight and nine. And, and I just want to I want you to see how how she's going to try to be spiritual here. Verses eight, nine says this. Verse eight says this. And Naomi said to her two daughters in law, go return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. May the Lord grant that you may find rest each in the house of her, her husband. Then she kissed them and they lifted up their voices and wept. Did you catch that? Na Naomi is in a position here where she is praying for them and and asking a blessing over them, kissing them, loving them. But internally, she is not, she is not in the right place. She is, she is bitter, upset. We're going to find out here in a minute. How do you know if she was bitter, preacher? Because she said it here in the end of the book. But anyway, just keep hanging with me. If you're taking notes, I want you to jot down Proverbs 28, 13, and 14. Because when it comes to our life, and in terms of trying to hide things and not have people, you know, be, be not be honest and open with the Lord or what's going on. I want you to just hear this. It says this. He who conceals his transgressions will not prosper. But he who confesses and forsakes them will find compassion. How blessed is the man who fears always, but he who hardens his heart will fall into calamity. You see, we have to understand that, that there's this relationship with God and with people where we have to be open and honest. And when we don't do that, that it is going to affect the connection. It's going to affect our relationship with the Lord. And Naomi, she was not willing to be open and honest. And she's even pronouncing a blessing. I just jotted down this way. She, she's blessing. She is bitter and she's upset. And what happens is now is whenever we are bitter inside and when we are angry and we are upset and that's what's leading our life, we don't reflect God correctly to the culture around us. We don't reflect God correctly to the people around us. How, how do you know that, preacher? Well, did you catch it? She told these girls, don't come back with me. I, I don't come back to where we know there's food. Don't come back to the covenant people of God. Don't come back. No, no, no. Go back home. Go, go to your mama. Go, go get you another husband. Go back, and the text says even to go, go to your gods. Go on, go on back to your own gods. That's what it says in verse 15. Then she said, behold, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. Can I just tell you just a practical, just real practical? Be leery of accepting advice from bitter people, 
from bitter from bitter believers, bitter people. Maybe they 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 come across as they are, you know, they, they love the Lord. But can I tell you, if, if, if it's coming from a bitter place, be leery of accepting advice from bitter people. You, you notice what happened here. You notice the. The dynamics, it was not good advice. Good advice was not being given. You see, when we become bitter, we don't represent God well. And we don't give sound, solid advice. You see, I believe that God desires for his people to be so connected to him where our lives, from our lives flow living water. But can I tell you, whenever you have bitterness, when bitterness drops into your heart and into that well, can I tell you, when bitterness drops into your soul and into your life, what, what, what was living water now becomes killing water. And it becomes where people cannot, cannot bring it into their own life without themselves coming bitter. But what should we do? Let me say it to you like this. First John chapter one, verses nine and 10. And I'm going to read it and we'll keep rolling. And we got one more point. It says this, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You see, that's the first step. We have to be honest with God, honest with ourselves, and honest with the people around us. And that is where the cleansing, the forgiveness, that's where it comes from. When, When we are straight up with God, he will be straight up with us. When we are willing to open ourselves up to God, he opens himself up to us. It's a beautiful thing that, that he does. We have to be careful here. Can I just give you an example that I've found to be true in my life? This is just practical because I know I'm hitting hard and I feel like somebody just need a little encouragement in here. Just do me a favor and write down the word life. L-I-F-E, life. Whenever you go through hard times, difficulties, I want you to remember this word life. L-I-F-E. And when I think about these things in my own world and in my own life, the L stands for Lord. Lord. That I remember that the Lord is for me, with me, and in me. That doesn't matter what comes, doesn't matter what hardship, doesn't matter what hostility, doesn't matter what thing is coming that I can't fix or don't understand or can't. I remember the L. The Lord is with me. The Lord, listen, he has been before, before I even knew him, before I said one word, he was for me already. He is with me that there has never been a day. There's not been one second where the presence of God has not been with me. Can I tell you, even when I was sinning and acting a fool, you hear me? Like like in all those things, he knows my life. He is with me. But can I tell you, on the day that I was saved, something drastic changed and he came to live inside of me. And that power, it changes all the dynamics. He, now, I, not only do I know him, not only do I recognize he is for my causes, but now he is working his life out through me. And it changes my whole purpose in life. The L is Lord. And it means that he is for us, with us, and in us. The I stands for information. That God has given us the information we need. That over and over and over again, can I tell you one of my favorite things to do in the Bible is to figure out, is there any place in the Bible where somebody dealt with what I'm dealing with? Is there any place in the Bible where Jesus directly spoke to what's happening? Is there any place in the Bible that mentions the hardship, the difficulty, whatever it is that I'm facing, information? I go and I look, God has given us the information that we need. 
It's all right there. And, and what we have to do is we have to be willing to go to the Bible and to not see these as little Bible stories that we use to put our babies to sleep at night. Can I tell you, these things, these stories, when we talk about Joseph and Noah and Moses and Aaron and Caleb and Joshua. When we talk about all these individuals, the Apostle Paul and Timothy, when we talk about Lydia, big ball of Lydia in Acts. When we talk about these individuals, we are not just talking about stories. We're talking about actual people that the God of the universe, he worked and moved in their life. And he is still the same yesterday, today and forever. And I believe he still wants to work in your life, too. These are not just stories. They shape our mindset about how we see things. And I'm just going to keep it real here just for a minute. I got a little time. We can't fellowship afterwards anyways. We got to get out of here. Let, Let me just keep it real. One of my favorites. Stories in the Old Testament is about my boy named Joseph. Y'all ain't anybody in here know Brother Joe. You want to talk about messed up family dynamics. Messed up. Messed up. And, and the thing is, and I ain't even got to, I ain't even got to roof just yet. But let, let me just tell you just real quick about my boy Joe. Just real quick. Can you imagine being sold into slavery? Let, let, can I say it another way? Let me use some contemporary terms for us because y'all are looking like making contemporary. Human trafficking. Can you imagine being trafficked humanly? Human Because human tra- that's exactly what happened. They said, we can't let him go back to daddy. We, we don't like him. So there were some slave traders that rolled through. He was human trafficked to Egypt. Sold, bought, and put in a house as a servant. But guess what? The text keeps telling us God was with him. He doing his thing. Joseph was a good specimen, chiseled out, swole up, good jaw, looking good. You know what I'm saying? He working. Potiphar's wife, y'all know her. She was like, mm, I see you, Joseph. She kept on trying to make passes at Joe. Joe kept his integrity the whole way, and she lied on Joseph. He got sent to jail for a crime he didn't commit. You want to talk about injustice? Sent to jail for a crime he didn't commit. But you know what the Bible says? You know what the text says about Joseph? You know what it says? God was with Joseph. God, he used those gifts, used those gifts in Joseph's life. He helped some folks get, he helped the guy get out of jail. And he's like, hey, you know, what what about me? He's still in jail. He goes up. God continues to work and move. Brings him up before Pharaoh uses him. And y'all know the story, but just in case you don't know the story, we might have some folks that ain't never heard the story. Can I tell you, Joseph, God gives Joseph the ability to be able to help Pharaoh understand his dream. And what's getting ready to happen. And can I tell you, when God works, he works on all sides. So not only did he give them the ability to understand the dream, just by the way, if you didn't know, it's going to be a famine in the land, which highlights our text. But, but hang on. So he gives you the ability to do what you need to do. But then he's working on all sides, making all the connections, all the relationships. So Joseph becomes the second highest individual in the land in which he was sold as a slave, brought in, sold, bought, spent time in jail. Now he is the second highest in the land. I don't know about you, but that's still the same God that I'm serving. So whenever I think about this life, I have to remember God is with Jamar. God is with you put any name in that box. Put your name in that box if you love it. That's the perspective. So when I'm reading about Joseph, I'm not just reading about a story to put my my kids to sleep. I'm just not reading about a story so that way whenever they're over in children's church, they can get the answer right and they can get a stop verse. I'm reading about this because it is directing our life. It's directing how we live. It is directing how we think. And this Bible is full of them. It's full of them. You can find the hope that you need. It's right in here. Everything we go through as human beings, God did not hold it back. He did not hold it out. It's all in here. And I love him that he keeps it real.
You know, the word life. The L is Lord. I is information. The F stands, in my opinion, stands for family, friends. You see, one of the things I think about Naomi, she's going through this hard time and she's forgetting that the Lord is with her. She's forgetting that she has some information about God. But also, she's forgetting that God had a ready-made community in her life. She had family. She had these girls, specifically Ruth, that loved her. She had family. She had a, a covenant place. She had a spot. And can I just tell you, when I think about life, I, I think about the Lord first. Obviously, I got to get my mind right on him. But then I think about God. Who have you put in my life? And I don't know who I'm talking to. Maybe you don't got any family in this area. Maybe you don't have any friends. You ain't been able to make any. But can I just tell you, I, that, that's the design of the church. When you join a church, you join a family. We, we got some issues. I'm just going to be honest. I got to keep it real with you. But you, be, you, you come into a family like that's what it's about. Like the, the, the church is a, is a family. Like early when in the early church, if it reads like they ate together, they spent a lot of time together, they hung out. Can I tell you, that's because they did. They, they knew each other. They had a relationship. The, the church was it's not just a place that they came to for about an hour. Where about an hour and a half? You know, <laughs> on a Sunday. You know, it was it was life for them. They, it was life. They, they, in them, they moved throughout each other's life. And that's what I'm yearning for. That's what we're yearning for around here. But that's risky. You know, because that means some folk might got to know my business and I might have to tell my business to some folks and they might see that I really ain't as perfect as I make myself out to be. Right. But that, that, that's why I think about family and friends to be able to come alongside you, to be able to encourage you, be able to pray for you, be able to cry with you, be able to shout with you and be excited with you. Life. The E, because I don't have two hours, the E means eternity. Eternity. I, I, I think about eternity in the midst of the hardships. I just I, I have to get myself to rem, to remember. That Jamar. It's not going to always be like this. It's not going to always be like this. There's going to come a time in eternity where it's going to be perfect. And if you ain't read Revelation, pick the book up because it's going to bless your socks off in eternity. In eternity, God, the, the same God that he has our eternity, he has it set, sealed, and he's going to work and move. I just, I remember life, and, and I believe Naomi, she, 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 she got off. She didn't remember that the Lord, the Lord was with the four. And, and she didn't remember those things. She didn't remember the information. She wasn't looking at the, what she had in front of her, and she did not keep an eternal perspective. That, that's my practical way of encouraging. Let me just briefly talk about Orpah. And Naomi, and then I won't close. In verses 11 through 14, we see Orpah's response. It says this, verse 11, but Naomi said, return my daughters. Why, why, should you, why, why should you go with me? So she's still trying to tell them, don't come, don't come, don't come. They both had started. And then she, she tells them in verse 11 and 12 about the fact that she can't raise up for them children. The Levitical law would have, have meant like, you know, when, you, when, you, when you, your husband dies, the next you know, eligible married individual that you just keep keeping in the family. You want to talk about keeping the family. Let's keep it in the family. You just keep moving down the line. And she said, I can't do that. I can't fulfill that obligation. I can't, I can't do that. And so she said, she says, keep going. You just, you go. And then verse 14, did you catch it? But before that, she let us know she was bitter. She said, for it is harder for me than for you 
for the hand of the Lord has gone forth against me. That, that's one of the many times she's trying to throw shade at our Lord. But in verse 14, it says this, talking about Orpah, says this, and they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed, she kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. All, all I want to say to you about, about Sister Orpah is this. This is the last time we are ever going to hear of her. She, there ain't, no, there ain't no, more, no more record of her life. And when I think about that, it, it, it reminds me that she, she started on the right track, but she got off. She, she didn't stay. She made the wrong decision. She was close, but just wasn't real. And, and she was willing to go back to her old life. And can I just tell you, there are so many times, so many times where I, as a pastor, I've talked to people and have showed them the truth of who God is, the truth of his word. And they, they get so close. They get there. So many orphans running around, but they don't they, they don't they don't really connect. How, how do you know? Because they go back to their old life. They go back to their old life. They, they don't they don't remain that they're, they're type of, of, of seed that Jesus talked about, that it falls on the shallow soil or the thorny soil that the cares of this world come up and choke it out. Is that you? Have you have you gone back to your old life, old way of thinking, old life, old way of thinking? You, you, you've seen the grace and goodness and, and the provision of God. But, but have you been willing to go back to your old way of life? Can I just tell you, it normally happens in stages. Did you notice this? Oprah, she was rocking and rolling with, with, the, with the sisters. She had she was she was with them. Then, then it says, slowly but surely, she, she hugged, she kissed. And then she she went on her way. And many times the, the old life, once you are a saved individual, them old relationships, friendships, the old messages, the old place you used to hang out with. Listen, they are just as deadly now as they were then. And normally they just try to ease this seat back into your life. Just real easy. Come on back. You, you know, you still going to church. You still reading your Bible every now and again. It don't matter if you do these things. And we have to be careful not to let that old seep in. That, that just I'm just practical. Practical advice. Be, be leery of, of letting the old seep in and returning back to your old life. So Oprah, she, she goes and we don't hear any more from her. But let me just talk about my sister Ruth. We pick up on her account in verse 15, the way in which she responds. 15 through 18. 15 says this, and uh, then she, after she clung, then she, said, Behold, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and her gods and returned after, so return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or turn back from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. Thus may the Lord do to me and worse, if anything but death parts you and me. Verse 18, when she saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more to her. Now, can I just say to you, when I think about Ruth's life, there's some application I want to make. Number one, she made this decision because by faith she had accepted the God of Israel. She had given her life to the true God. And you see it right there. She said, look, your God will be my God. Eh? You ain't getting rid of me like that. As a matter of fact, in this, I done found the truth. I know about the gods that are in, in, that are in Moab. I already been, been there, done that. There ain't nothing there. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm staying with you. 
But can I just tell you, when you read this now, y'all already read what I read. and Y'all saw what I read in, in Deuteronomy 23 where it talked about they don't need to be in the assembly or anything like that. How in the world can you get in the assembly of God? The assembly? Can I tell you? Can I tell you how you get in the assembly of the Lord? By grace. That's how she got in. By grace through faith. That's how she got in. And what we should understand is, is there's no person outside the grace of God. There were all these odds, all these things that were stacked against Ruth being able to be in the covenant family of God. All these things. Can I, can I just give you a couple? Number one, her history. I already read it. Her people and Jewish people, they did not get along. Child sacrifice, false teaching, all those things. But can I tell you, there were some other things, too. Not just history. There was not just history that, that put all these things up. There were some current things, like she had just lost her husband. She, she lost her father-in-law. She lost a brother-in-law. She got a grieving mother-in-law. Like, can I, there, there, there are these things contemporary in her life that are great hostilities, great things that are going on in her life. But none of those deterred her from connecting to the Lord. And can I tell you, the Lord shows out in how he uses her. I'm going to give you one more point of application here. The reason why you shouldn't worry about hiding your mistakes is because your past and your present, they don't have to be your future. If, if you're taking notes, I just wanted you to just to see this. Matthew chapter one, verses five and six, and then we'll go to my last point, which is, which is also my close. Matthew one, five and six, this is the genealogy of Jesus. Now, I just want you to tell me if you, if, you, if you read or hear a familiar name in here. Salmon. Anybody met a Salmon before? <laughs> was the father of Boaz by Rahab. Boaz was the father of Obed. By who? So just, just for the record, this lady that we're talking about right here is in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. This lady whose ancestry started with the incestuous relationship between Lot and his oldest daughter. Now, I want you to catch this now. God is teaching us something very important. There's a woman, by the way, in the genealogy, name right there, smack dab, right in the middle. And when you read it, it says this, talk about, talk about Ruth. She, she had a boy, she had a Ruth, and, and Obed, the father of Jesse. So when we look at this, I just want you to catch this now, that when you think about your past and when you think about your present, those things do not have to define your future or who you are. As a matter of fact, God can use you no matter what the world says about you, no matter what the world does to you, no matter what happened, God can rewrite it and he can use it for his glory and for transformation. I, I hope y'all in here with me. I don't know if y'all with me. Fireworks got y'all enamored last night. I don't know. Let's just keep going. Verse six. Jesse was the father of David, the king. Of, he was, Jesse was the father of David, the king. Can, can I just say to you real quick? You never know who you're dealing with. Right. So when Boaz rolled in. When they rolled in, can, can I just tell you, he didn't know he was going to be like the king was going to come from this line. He had no idea. No idea. You, you never know. So don't don't discount anybody or anything. Then we know David had his troubles, but guess what? God kept it right in there. David the king, David was the father of Solomon by Bathsheba, who had been the wife of Uriah. So all I'm saying to you is when we look at Ruth, 
that there was overwhelming struggle, overwhelming difficulties, overwhelming mess that would make it where she should not be in the family. But she got in and God used her life. The last thing I want us to see is that we have to be careful that we don't blame God. Now, I'm going to read it, and then we're going to close out this way. Verse 19 says this. So they both went until they came to Bethlehem. Now, I can't imagine being on that trip. They ain't have no Netflix to binge watch. They wasn't watching nothing. You know, can you imagine having this conversation all these miles? That that thing would have been interesting. And when they had, had come to Bethlehem, notice it says, all the city was stirred because of them. It was stirred, why? Because of them. And the, and the who said, I just need the sisters in here. Y'all see what happened here? And the who said, y'all see it? The women, y'all be. Is this Naomi? Girl, what you do with your hair? Now, that ain't what you want to know. That ain't what you asking about. Says, is this Naomi? She said to them, do not call me Naomi. Why, why does she say don't call me Naomi? Because Naomi means what? Pleasant. She said call me Mara. And what does Mara mean? Bitter. Preacher, how you know Naomi was bitter? How you going to just judge her motive like that? Because she said it came right out of her mouth. And can I just tell you, that's exactly where bitterness comes out of. Right out of our mouths. She says call me, call, call me Mara for the the Almighty, y'all catch it? The Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why do you call me Naomi? Why do you call me pleasant since the Lord has witnessed against me and the Almighty has afflicted me? So Naomi returned, and with her Ruth, the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, who returned from the land of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Just a couple of things I want to share as I close. Number one, you see the bitterness. Don't blame God. And it's very important that when we go through trials, tribulations, and difficulties that we don't blame God. It's, it's important that we understand that he is an ally. He is an ally for us. And can I tell you, it is counterproductive to blame him. What that means is, is that we are response-able. We have the ability to have a certain response. We are response-able. Able. And can I just tell you, I believe that there's a clear way in which we should respond. It's going to come on the screen, Philippians 4, 8, and 9. 4, 8, and 9. How do we respond? Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence, if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Do what? Practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. In the midst of the difficulty, in the midst of the heartache, we already got the victory. We got to set our mind right here. But it's so easy for us to get in the gutter. It's so easy for us to be bitter. It's so easy for us to focus on the lie, to focus on the negative, to focus on the dishonor, to focus on all the things opposite of what God is telling us to do. And we wonder why we don't have any peace or rest, why we continue to entertain the struggles that are going on, why we don't have this idea where we enlist the struggle and we utilize it for God's glory. I'm not, I never have said it's easy, but it's right. It's right. I want to close this way. 
they got to Bethlehem. Did you did you see the season? It says it was the barley harvest. Did y'all catch that? What the what the author is doing here is telling us something very important that they got there in the springtime. Barley harvest, springtime, and that particular harvest came along with a lot of celebrating and excitement. So can you imagine everybody else like barley harvest? They in there having a good time, and then Naomi she rolled up mad, and they're like Naomi girls. And she like uh uh-uh, uh don't play me. Call me bitter. And what I want you to see is that God brings this new life. She, she, she comes to the place in the midst of new life. New life joy is going on. And I just find that God, he is working all the time. This new life is 100% always active. If you want to tap into it, that doesn't mean that we are naive. It just means that we are intentional. We are intentional to look to the barley harvest, the new times, the new spring, and we connect our lives and that we think about the past and we think about it in light of the new things that are coming. We think about the present and we think about it, about the new things that he has in store for us, that we look to him and we trust him. And the last thing that I want to say is this. It has fascinated me how the English language works. Because there is one letter difference between bitter and better. One letter difference. What's the, what's the difference? The letter I. You see, Naomi, she made it all about her. She made it all about her. And many times when we go through these hardships and these trials, we get, we get bitter because we, we become, we get inside. We go, we go inside and we, we take it all personal and we're we looking at everything, what we're reading and what people are posting and what they're saying and what they're doing and what I didn't get and all these other things. And we, and we make it I, 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 about I. And we, we take it in. But can I tell you, to make it better, we need to make it an E. And we need to make it about everyone else. We need, we need to see, okay, okay, I, I see that. I, I'm in my struggle. There was the greatest preacher that ever lived, greatest person that ever lived, and this is what he said, it is more blessed to give than receive. That's what he said. Now, I don't know about you, but I believe that. So when I'm thinking about the struggles that, that I'm going through, I, the, the natural tendency is for me to, you know, get in my little pouty fest and be like, Lord, you see I'm trying to serve you. We got all this going on. Why is this happening to me? But I have got to train myself. And I'm encouraging you to train yourself to think about, okay, this struggle that's happening in my life, who, who is in a similar situation that I'm in and how can I minister to them? How can I, how can I help them? I I keep hearing a whole lot of people talking about all these things going on in the world about crime and criminals and, and and it's not fair and all these other things. How how many criminals you didn't help? How many folks you didn't help out? How many people you have you have you done? Not just yelling and talking and screaming, but actually help them get through whatever issue or 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 grudge you are holding or you whatever you are mad about. How many times have you went and actually looked at the individuals that are in that struggle and actually helped them get out of it? Can I just tell you? To go from bitter to better. There must be a perspective shift. And we look outside of ourselves and we ask God, we look to him for our life. We look to his information to know how we should understand. We look to families and friends as that, that, that group that wants to come alongside us. And then ultimately, we keep eternity in perspective. You see, I'm going to submit to you that God has given us the victory already. And so listen to me, brothers and sisters. We are not fighting for it. We're not fighting to get it. We already have it. Now, the goal is that we live accordingly to it. We live accordingly to it, and we allow the Lord to shape and transform our minds, 
shape and transform our actions. And we give him the glory every step of the way. Now, my question is, first and foremost, have you given your life to the Lord? Because if you have not given your life to the Lord, what I'm talking to you about is foreign to you. Can I just tell you, I'm going to be honest, God has been with you because he created you, his presence. Listen, omnipresent, he's been with you. Can I tell you, he is for you. He laid his life down on the cross. But the problem is, is he's not in you, and that's the difference right there. He got to be in you to have the connection, that relationship. Will you, will you surrender your life to him? Will you trust him? Will you allow him to come and work in a mighty way through you? I'm going to pray, and we're going to have a time of singing. And I just want you to think, as Tyler gets ready to come up here, and we're going to sing this song, I just want to ask you, not only to come to God in salvation, but also I just want to ask you, I want to ask you to think about what God has brought you through. What things has he done in your life in the past? What things is he doing in the present? And can I just tell you, we can trust that same God for the future things. So just think about the things that he has done in your life and the things that you're trusting him for. Because I know some of us in this room, we are still waiting on some things. And if we'll allow ourselves to trust him in the past work and in the present reality, recognizing that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. I believe it will give us the victory and courage that we need. Will you pray with me? Lord, we love you. We thank you. And we look to you now. God, I pray if there's anyone they've never given their life to you, Lord, that they will surrender to you, Lord, and they will be saved, be transformed. God, I pray that, Lord, as we sing and as we worship, that you would move. That, Lord, we would think about your goodness. We think about what you've done. And that, Lord, we would remember and know that, that Lord, you're just getting started. Lord. And that, Lord, though the outer man be decaying, the inner man's renewing day by day. So, Lord, it's getting better for us. And that, God, you would get the glory in us, through us, for your glory. We love you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I hope God spoke to you during the message today. We want to know about it. You can fill out a connection card at wordbaptist.com slash connection card. We want to help you through any spiritual questions you may have while you're on this journey. You see, we believe that the first step is for a person to give their life to Jesus Christ. The Bible is very clear that the greatest need that humanity has is to be saved. And that the only way to be saved is through Jesus Christ. If you will agree with God that you need him for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will turn to him in repentance and believe in him, uh, you will be saved. The Bible says that you do this by one, believing that Jesus Christ died and was raised from the dead and that you believe that his payment is sufficient for you, that you will call out to him as Lord and Savior, he will save you. If you're listening to the service and do not have a church home, we would love for you to come and be our guest during the time of worship. We have multiple services. We would love to meet you personally and have you here for worship. You can check us out at wordbaptist.com for service time. If you've missed any sermons, they're all archived there online, so you can go back and watch them. You can connect with us on social media, at Word Baptist. If you would like to invest in the ministry and continue the spread of the gospel, you can give online at wordbaptist.com give. I'm so grateful that you've joined us today, and I hope you've learned something that you can apply to your life, and we hope to see you again next time, right here at Word Baptist Church.